from the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas. This is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. The American Printing House for the Blind has just hired Paul Schrader to lead their efforts in government affairs and more. Paul and I bonded over a football metaphor a few years ago, dealing with my Seahawks beating his Packers. However, given the Packers had a rough game recently, and I don't even want to talk about the Seahawks until next fall, I'm going to quickly move on. Paul's experience and background in D.C. is so impressive, we didn't even add an expert section to the end of this episode. He isn't just on the Brute Squad, he is the Brute Squad. I have a political science degree and international studies, and I really thought that I would be doing uh, something political, something policy-oriented, possibly uh, of an international nature. But I stumbled into this disability field and um, had the good fortune of being there as the Americans with Disabilities Act was being uh, worked on and completed. And so I, I got to be at the edge of the White House lawn in 1990 when uh, George Bush signed the, the the law. And that was, you know, I was 28 at the time. I had 27, 28 years old. That was heady stuff. Later, working on the um, what was uh, a first telecommunications act requirements in 1996 and getting to meet uh, president Clinton, um, was, was also quite a, quite an extraordinary experience. I was with the American foundation for the blind at that point, but I had done a lot of the work on that, uh, bill in prior, uh, during my time with the American council of the blind when I was in Washington, DC. So I've, I've just really been very fortunate to have these experiences, to have these opportunities to be working on, um, really exciting, big change uh, laws and uh, policies in our in our nation's history. I mean, it's just incredible to think about some of the experiences you've had, and now you're moving into this new role at the American Printing House for the Blind. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and why you sought out this position. It, it's new for me, but it's not a new role. Gary Mudd has been doing that work for the past 30, he's been there 34 years. I think he's been doing the advocacy piece for about 25 of them, and, and he decided to retire. Um, and I've known Gary uh, a little bit uh, from his time coming to Washington to advocate for the appropriation that we'll talk about in a second that the American Printing House receives to provide educational materials and t- textbooks and services uh, across the country. So I've known Gary. He is truly probably the most, the most uh, what, do I, what do I often say, the most decent human I've ever worked with. He is just an extraordinarily kind, nice, thoughtful, considerate person. Um, and you don't find a lot of those in the policy world. Mm-hmm. I've really been quite impressed with the work that uh, Dr. Craig Metter has been doing at APH to kind of shift the organization a little bit to, you know, bring it into some some of the 21st century ways of doing things and, and to just relook at um, uh, policies and services and products and bring in people that, that want to do that as APH has kind of changed its approach. And so I, I thought this would be an exciting place to be quite possibly, you know, the last major move of, of my career as I get, get, get on in years um, and, and thought that I, I could play a role. Um, because I'm here in the Washington DC area, because I've been pretty familiar with a lot of different policy 
areas in my life, in my work, um, I felt that I could comfortably uh, slip into this role and hopefully add something of value to APH. But I, I really like the, the work that APH is doing. And, and for me, it's a chance to, as many of my jobs have been, to try to give something back uh, to benefit blind and visually impaired people who come behind me as people benefited me in the past. What do you feel are kind of the most pressing issues within government pertaining to those who are blind or have low vision? I mean, it seems like you've been working the government hustle for a long time. So what <laughs> what's the issue now, you think? There's never an end of them. Uh, as, as we often will say, there, there, there seems to be a long-term employment for those of us who want to make policy change. But there has been a lot of great improvement. I, I think we, it's easy to be negative or to find that there's so much to do, it's, but it's also important to reflect that how many good things have happened, how many good changes have occurred over time. But I, I think right now there is a number of needs have been highlighted by this pandemic for, for lots of Americans and, and lots of people around the world, of course, uh, but, but certainly for people who are blind. And so access to information and technology, yes. We've always known that, of course, driving and transportation are huge challenges, but when you literally put yourself in harm's way, getting into a vehicle with an unknown person, taxi driver, Uber driver, transportation driver, you kind of elevate that that challenge that those of us who are blind or visually impaired have long known we have. Testing that's, uh, that's not accessible. Most people are expected to drive to a location and wait in their cars. So there's all these things that have emerged as, as challenges for blind people. And then add to that the move to virtual work, virtual education, remote online, and all of the challenges that attend to that, there's there's also good points in that, you know, that there's there's for people who are able to use technology and have access, there are some great opportunities that come with online because it does eliminate some of those transportation issues. But there's also huge challenges for people who don't have the technology skills, don't have the uh, can't afford the equipment or the connection uh, or just don't happen to have the kind of support they need in order to take advantage of those or to, to, to really be able to uh, uh, in, engage in those opportunities. So that's, that's an area. So I think, you know, quite simply, access to technology and to training on how to use technology remains a challenge, and it has been highlighted by this pandemic and further highlights the tremendous opportunity that comes from people being able to use technology effectively, being able to have smartphones and computers at the ready that they know how to use. And I'd say the other piece is access to uh, services. I mean, one, one of the areas that is not a, an area that APH works on as much as some others is services for people who are, who are losing their sight as they age. Um, huge area of opportunity and challenge and not at all well supported in our national policy. Very little funding and money available for independent living services to help older individuals adjust to blindness and remain independent. And yet the payoff for doing so should be huge. It's interesting to talk about the way the the pandemic has highlighted some some areas of need, but also, like you said, provided some opportunities for those that are tech savvy, you know, not having to worry about transportation and like yourself, I'm sure it's great. You probably don't have to move from D.C. now that APH is doing so many people through remote work and have people all over the country. So that's a huge benefit, too. I mean, I think Louisville's a wonderful community, but I'm at a point in life where I wasn't prepared to make that move. 
uh, at this time, and I'm happy to visit. Uh, but APH is, is like many uh, organizations, is now welcoming employees from other parts of the country. And if they want to move to Louisville, great. But if they can't or, or don't, uh, there's place as well. Now, what about the um, community relations part of your position? I was just curious what that entails. That's probably not going to be as much of a, a role for me individually, but it's a big role for APH because they do want to be a good citizen in Louisville, uh, yes, and a good citizen in the nation in, in the blindness field and uh, in, in probably in the disability field as well. So I know that one of the roles that Gary, uh, my, my predecessor, if you will, uh, because he was in Louisville, he did a number of he he participated in a number of advisory and other opportunities to help the community be a more friendly place and accessible place for people who are blind, and that is something that APH supports through many ways. And so I'll play a role in that with with my team at APH, uh, and and same for reaching out to the nation. One of the things I've really appreciated uh, about Dr. Matter is he's 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 been clear that he wants to make sure that APH is being supportive of um, the blindness field as much as we can be, uh, not only in our, our core mission, but but in helping organizations generally. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a role to play in helping people understand accessibility and, and, and bringing our expertise to the table and potentially in, in tackling diversity and inclusion as well, which is a challenge for our field, just like it is so many other uh, fields that, that have maybe not done, uh, have been as successful in, in creating diversity and inclusion as, as we should be. I would have never thought of the community part of that as our field, but that makes so much sense, especially given how much APH has done in recent years to support the work and partner with other organizations and take some things on um, that may have gone by the wayside. Like, I love that, thinking about community relations, meaning also within our field. APH has, of course, invested in in doing outreach and training, and there's some terrific work. Uh, the Hive is something I hope people take a look at for for some nice uh, snippets and course uh, mini courses of, of all kinds of information that, that can be helpful to students, to parents, to teachers. What do you think is the greatest challenge facing children who are blind and low vision as they become adults? I'm the superintendent of a school, so that's something I think about all the time is like, how do we empower these students into their future? But what do you think is the, the greatest challenge for them? It's cliche or obvious, but but it's true to say work uh, and, and transition to work. Look, I think there's lots of opportunities for improvement in, in the services we're providing to K-12 kids and pre-K kids. And that's a huge role for APH and, and a role that we, you know, we take obviously very seriously uh, and have responsibility for since the Act for the Education of the Blind in <laughs> 1879. Sure. Um, and, and uh, but but I think as our children morph into young adults and move into post-secondary either school or training or work, it's it's a huge challenge and it's, it's one that I don't think any of us are satisfied that we have solved or come close to solving the employment challenge for people who are blind or visually impaired. You know, adjusting to to the world where the supports are different and maybe not as available as they might be in school in the K-12 setting can be challenging. And I, you know, I think that's where we have to prepare children to be able to make that leap, including those who have disabilities other in addition to uh, vision loss um, and how they make that leap. And 
seek out, if, if they need supports, seek out supports from systems that maybe don't have as much experience with blindness, uh, but, but have experience with other disabilities. Those are interesting challenges. I don't pretend to know a ton about it. I'm delighted that APH is, I think it's always looked at services across the lifespan, but of course the focus is you know, primarily school age and education oriented. But APH has increasingly been looking at and working on services and products that meet needs for people in other parts of their lifespan. And so, for example, it's kind of fun for me to, to come to APH and be reunited with programs that were that I worked with at the American Foundation for the Blind, like Career Connect and Family Connect, um, that are now part of APH's Connect Center, and that do serve uh, a different population and, and, in, and serve in many ways, Career Connect, for example, hugely important to people in transition from school to work people who are new to blindness and trying to re-enter work. And so as a, as a resource available to them, I, I hope people do check out the Connect Center as a place for individuals and service providers to find good information. You know, as an organization, like many organizations in the blindness field are looking at ways to serve people with needs in addition to blindness, disability needs that adjoin blindness as challenges that folks are working with. Um, and again, I, I, you know, I think that it hasn't been as, as high a focus for adults, but I know it's an area of interest for APH as we begin to develop new products and services. So, I, you know, I'd love to hear from people about ideas or thoughts they have. I'm sure that many others at APH would as well. It, I, I've been there six weeks now, and I, I keep learning new stuff that I thought I knew a lot about APH. It turns out I knew very little. <laughs> so. You bet. I think that's something that thinking about the additional disability needs that our our students have and, and those that are blind have, you know, those of us that work in the field know that a lot of the people we serve have multiple disabilities and it's just um, the nature of our work. But I don't think it's that's that obvious to people on the outside looking in. Like they don't think about that right away. But it's so important that all of our organizations focus on that piece too. And I think we're all getting better at it as time goes on. Definitely more so, so than like 20 years ago, I'd say. It's people like you, I think, that are helping to make that happen because you come in with that frame of reference uh, and are yeah. open to that frame of reference. I do live with such a person. And so I do think about That's it a right. lot. <laughs> yeah, of course. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. If you could pick one goal that could be reached for individuals who are blind and or low vision, what would that be? Or even like a soapbox item that just you wish you could make better or change or improve upon? I tend to think in terms of technology. Um, and it's not because I'm a technologist. One of my, my colleagues here at APH, Greg Stilson, was with me also at IRA, and he knows perfectly well my limited technology skills, <laughs> uh, particularly compared to his. Of course, it's not the only answer, but handing somebody the ability to have and use 
the technology to access information and to connect with people is profoundly important, even more profoundly important for those of us who are blind or visually impaired, perhaps, than its importance for, for others, because the ability to get at information and put it in a, in a means that is usable for us so easily with the right kind of technology is tremendous. I mean, I think for me, it's so important because I remember when life was not like that. I mean, I remember when I didn't have access to information or it wasn't easy to put information in a form that I could digest it quickly and get at it quickly. And the same with, you know, reaching out and telling and informing people of my ideas and thoughts was not always as straightforward as it is today. And so maybe because I have lived in in both worlds, I believe that there's probably no more profound thing than making sure that people who are blind have access to technology they can use and training to be able to use it effectively and that we have some policies in place to make sure that as we morph technology and shift in the workplace and in the education environment to new kinds of technologies, those of us who are blind or visually impaired are not left behind, are not having to wait for years for something to change. It's gotten a whole lot better. And now we adjust much more rapidly and quickly because of all the great work that people have done. But it, it isn't seamless. And, and there are still things that people struggle with. And there are still technologies that are not very or at all accessible uh, and that blind people need to be able to use to work and to learn and to communicate. I've spent a lot of my life in and around that from a policy perspective, in and around technology. And so I guess that's always my answer is, is that that's where I want to put a focus. And, if, and that's the goal that I want to see achieved is, is that everybody has the capability and the tools they need. It used to be, and in some ways it still is, that accessible technology wasn't affordable. It was just, you couldn't, purchase a device that would work or the software you needed because it cost too much money and school districts were reluctant to purchase that stuff for students. It feels like that's changing. Do you think that's true, that it's becoming more and more affordable? It absolutely is, but it still is out of reach for many individuals, particularly low-income individuals and individuals in parts of the world where um, the infrastructure simply isn't there. But yeah, the answer is yes, it is. And I think even places like APH benefit from that because we can stretch the appropriations that we receive differently to be able to to, uh, put technology in people's hands. I mean, just if you look through the products that are available now from APH in the Braille world and in the magnification world, they, they've certainly benefited, not as much as one would hope. You look at smartphone prices, they have tremendously changed, but it is changing. And also just the capabilities of things like a smartphone. So now you can add a Braille display and the smartphone becomes your computer because the Braille display is giving you the access point. And so that changes the price dynamics uh, and, and also the capability dynamics for people. Here in Texas, we just started our 87th legislative session. And I'm just wondering if you have any good advice related to government relations and perhaps even advocacy as we start going to bat for the things our students need? You know, advocacy is is mostly all about relationships and people. I always give Texas credit back when we were pushing for changes in uh, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act to support textbook access. 
some of the folks in Texas were like, hey, we've got it working pretty good down here. Don't screw it up federally, which which is often <laughs> what people in Texas like to say. I think. And I had to acknowledge, yes, you do. And so we need to learn from that. You know, you guys have done it well. And let's don't screw that up. But let's see if we can uh, we can make that work for everybody else. And, and I think we did. Why did that happen? Because there were really good advocates in Texas who told the story to the legislature. And our story is pretty straightforward to tell. It's not a hard story to get across to people, but you have to have people there willing to do it. I mean, there's nothing better than a parent advocate other than maybe an individual themselves, but I've I've sat with staff and members of Congress when when parents were talking about their children and we're all crying. I mean, we're, you know, we're just and and you know you got to somebody and and that and then what happens you know, a few months later, that translates into a change in law. And it's not may- maybe not perfect, but it's a step. Um, and the reason that happened is because somebody heard the story, understood the need and ha- had the ability to do something about it. That's where, you know, someone like me, I hope, is able to help channel people to do that. Same for someone in your shoes. There's limitations on what we can do sometimes, but we can help channel people and point them in the right direction and make sure they know who to talk to, to spend the time it takes to get the story across. Because not every elected official is created equal for the only reason being that they focus on different things like all of us. And so focusing on the folks who are on the education committee for education policy is where you need to be. We need to make sure that we can find people who can credibly get to those individuals and tell the story, be heard, be constituents that are worthy of listening to. It works more often than we think, and it works better than we sometimes have a right for it to. (laughs) When you talk about sharing your story, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because, you know, as I go into these uh, hearings, I'm representing TSBVI as a superintendent. And so I, I struggle a little bit with balancing putting that hat on and then putting on my parent hat and not making it the Emily show. You know, you have a personal story too. How do you balance that with the role that you play as a professional? I usually try to bring to the extent that I can my personal story in because it's there. I mean, they can see that I'm blind. If we're in a meeting together face-to-face or on a screen, I want them to understand and appreciate. But you're right, it's not the Paul show. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, if I've got something relevant to share, I will say that I, I had my daughter once come to an advocacy meeting. Um, we were over winter break or something. I said, yeah, you know, this is casual time. Why don't you come in and sit in the meeting with me? And we were talking about audio description and we came out of the meeting. So, you know, she's in high school. I said, what'd you think? She's like, dad, you got to bring more pathos. Like, all right, (laughs) tell me what you mean. (laughs) I know what the word means, but tell me what you mean. She's like, you didn't tell enough of your story. You didn't make Mm -hmm. it real. And and I'm like, well, good for you. Um, Good advice, kiddo. Uh, I knew I'd brought up a smart kid for some reason. The personal stories are good. You do want to be careful that it doesn't become about you. I want to give you a chance to share anything else. If there's anything you want to plug for APH or anything coming up we should know about. Well, I'm I'm still learning about APH. Um, I do know that we are in we're in census time for all our uh, ex officio trustees who are creating the uh, grabbing and building the data for uh, the kids to be served uh, over the next year. Yep. And of course, we're in appropriations time at uh, in Congress shortly, as uh, mm. obviously we know we have a new Congress, new president, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be shortly coming out to people to say, hey, this is a good time to tell the story about um, what, why services and products are important. And yeah, if you can mention APH, that's great. But, mm-hmm. but the more important thing is to talk about why uh, blind kids need these specialized services. I've mentioned the Hive and Connect Center. Please look at those. 
Um, I'm loving the museum at APH and now the Helen Keller archives. I'm having so much fun. Um, it's in my, it's in my group. So they have to indulge me with my constant questions about, well, what about this? (laughs) It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and of course, you know, some of the new products, um, some of the Braille products that we've recently produced, the Camellia and the Mantis. I mean, there's just some cool things happening that I'm uh, happy about. And, and I, and I'm and like a kid in a candy store learning about the, the products and, and the things that we're bringing to the, to the table. As part of the blind, low vision and deafblind community, as an individual, parent or a professional, It's important to stay apprised of current legislative action and changes. Paul is one voice representing our community, but every voice counts toward our mission empowering students. One piece of important legislation can be found at CogswellMacyAct.org. I recommend you check it out. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.